Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Frontier Space Podcast, a series about how space technology, colonization, and exploration are transforming our solar system. Yeah, so it's like that's that's always stuck with me, and uh, yeah, it's the, this stuff is uh, it's a nice place to go in your head when you're trying to fall asleep. You know, it's a uh, you know, it's. I mean, how can you look at where we are and not see? It's like this is where we're all headed. It's like, you know, every you know we're we're all in this trapped in this space, and it's like the only place to go is up. So, but you know, I don't have to tell you that. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I completely sympathize. And uh, so, so you mentioned there was this scene from the early two thousands that inspired you to write this article about. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the magic is like, I'm talking about the scene from the movie 2001, which is filmed in 1968. And it's this incredible. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're not familiar with it, it's there's, uh, this is a a spaceship on on its way to Jupiter. And so it's a long term mission. And uh, uh, it's got this scene with this astronaut, and he's, he's jogging, but he's jogging. You know, it's like from, from the, the point of view of the, the audience, he's jogging around the inside of this spacecraft in a cylinder, like in a, in a loop that goes, you know, beyond the central hub. And of course, and it's like, you know, you dig into the mechanics of it in the movie Magic, and it's like there's this, they've got a rotating drum that they're filming the actor on and everything. But it's, it's this credible uh, representation of it's like of how you solve the problem of zero g you know it's, it's you create this centrifugal acceleration and so the the people are are pinned to the inside of it you know to to varying degrees so yeah i mean like specifically it's like the article it's like there's there's two videos i would say it's like that's that's the one you know that you know i see when i'm a kid and you know and sticks in my imagination all these years and then not too long ago, um, astronaut Scott Kelly comes home from his 340-day trip in on IS, ISS, rather. And uh, he's returned home. He's been home for several days. And there's a video of him working with NASA therapists trying to get reoriented, reoriented and, and able to walk again. And he's, you know, struggling badly, um, you know, and of course, you know, a, you know, a week later or so, he's fine and he's fine now. But uh, if you kind of break this down, so he's in space for 340 days and the preferred trajectory to get to Mars for the free return trajectory is a little bit less than nine months. So during that time, just, you know, like, like with Scott Kelly, you know, he's going to have this neuromuscular adaptation, particularly with his vestibular system that is going to orient his body and his senses and everything so that he can navigate successfully in zero G. The brain is capable of adapting to that. And it does, but just like you see in the video with Scott Kelly, it's like, you know, you, You bring him home and that doesn't flip back like a switch. You can't go instantly from being able, from being oriented long-term 
to be able to function in a zero G environment back to working successfully within a gravity well. So like everyone kind of is able to wrap their head around the problem of like strength loss. It's like, you know, you're, you're floating in zero G for a long time, you know, and you're going to lose strength. But of course, you know, you can mitigate that with resistance exercises. And Scott Kelly did, you know, he might've lost a little bit of strength, but strength is not the problem. The problem is this orientation of how you're controlling your head and your, in your body. You know, it, it specifically, it's like you, you look, you dig into the research. It's like you know, the, the problem is the orient, the difference in the orientation in your head and your torso as you move forward. So if, so if our astronauts on their way to Mars, they're going to be oriented in zero G for nine months and they're going to reach the surface of Mars and you know, maybe it won't, their disorientation won't be as bad as Scott Kelly's, but it's not going to be zero. It's not, they're, they're not going to hit the surface of Mars and instantly be able to function at, you know, a, at the level that realistically they're in an extremely hazardous environment and they've got big jobs that they need to accomplish. Cause I, I don't believe that the first trip to Mars is going to be a flag planting operation. I think that's going to be something more oriented along the lines of uh, setting up a water supply. So you, you do all this math, you look at all this kind of together and it's like, as a mission planner, you're like, we can't do zero G. It's like, they, they just, they just can't be in zero G for nine months. It's like, if they have to be in zero G for nine months, then they're not going to be able to do much on the surface of Mars. They're going to have to wait a couple of weeks at least before they can disembark the ship, which it's just, it's a non-starter. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And um, I also was reading about how um, Scott Kelly's heart mass shrank to uh, 4.9 yeah. ounces, uh, which was from 6.7 ounces, which was a decline of about 27%. Where he's right. The yeah, yeah. And so that's, I mean, so you can, you know, you can take a, a rubber band and you can provide, you know, that kind of a resistance exercise. What you can't do is in in zero g is provide the counter the mechanical counter pressure that a heart has to overcome in pumping stuff up to the brain and pumping stuff back from your feet the only it's like the only way to do that is to have something like a gravity well and it's like in, in there are ways to mitigate it there's you know thoughts about medication and all that again it's like there may be ways to solve all these problems, but they're not going to be solved in the time frame that we are looking at to go to Mars. Yeah, I mean, so, and so all this to me adds up. So it's like you have to just kind of accept the truth. It's like on the outward trip to Mars, you need some degree of gravity simulation on, on the way home, they can be in zero G and then they can come home and then they can struggle for a couple of weeks. And that's fine. It's no problem. It's when they're on earth, they can, they've got time and space and a safe environment for that adaptation. But on the way out, they're going to have to have this degree of simulation. And you know, it's like, and it, and it stands to reason. It's, it's like, you know, so what degree do we simulate? Well, 
we simulate Martian gravity. We simulate 37% of Earth's gravity on the way out. And so then aside from, you know, probably a few days at the end where they're getting oriented for EDL and all that kind of stuff, it's like they, you know, their bodies, their, their perception, their vestibular system, you know, everything will be oriented. They, they will get on the surface of Mars and that will feel like home to their bodies. Yeah, and, and that really rings true. And um, so it sounds like the current design of Starship wasn't designed to generate artificial gravity. I, I would say it wasn't designed as a first-class artifact. It wasn't designed in the sense that it's like we're going to make engineering decisions that are that are going to involve trade-offs. We're, we're not going to sacrifice anything for that capability. But kind of certain things about the the long-term plans and everything do open up some engineering opportunities. It's like one of the one of the big things about the proposal for the profile for how we get a starship to Mars is this extended refueling in orbit scenario. So you you get a starship up to Mars and it's it's got payload but it's it's going to it's like the way that you want to do it is you want to give it get it up to orbit with max payload and have an almost dry fuel tank because because up, because it's going to be easier to transport fuel than it is going to be to trans, transfer payload so you get it up there and then you're going to do a number of missions it's like how many it's you know something between 10 and 14 missions to refuel that for for the trip the trip to mars and and the landing so here here's where this comes in with in terms of art, artificial gravity the current thinking on how they're going to transfer the fuel so that you're going to have two starships so we'll say that this is that's the nose of the starship and this is the tail two starships they're going to dock tail to tail and then the starship with the fuel is going to do a micro acceleration in one direction. And so then, you know, in a sense, it's like the fuel that's in that starship is going to fall into the tanks. And they'll, and they'll do that a bunch of times. So right off the bat, we have a, a bit, you know, of a solved problem. It's like the problem of having two starships joined at the tails is something that is, has already at least been thought about. And there has to have been uh, some engineering consideration. It's obviously, you know, SN15 is not going to have anything like that, but this, this is something that is a first-class artifact in terms of the thinking of the engineering. So if you take that and you have these two starships that are tail to tail, and then you do bow thrusters, in opposite direction, you know, this way on this one and this one, and th this one, and you create this rotation. And so, you know, you have the classic sci-fi kind of trope of the ring things where you have a 360 degree circle. It's like, well, this, you know, now we've got two starships that are kind of subtending just the outer ring of that. And so it's like these points at the furthest point out and to a lesser degree closer to the center, they are now creating this centrifugal force that we can use 
for uh, to solve this problem. So, and a number of practical problems arise from this. For, uh, first, you know, in, in my discussion with people about this, the very first very good question people talk about is that we're now creating, so it's like Starship, you know, if this is the bottom, it is engineering designed so that strength is this way, you know, along the direction of thrust, along the direction of sitting on the pad. And, you know, anyone who's done, you know, aerospace uh, knows that, you know, just because you have strength in this direction doesn't automatically mean you have strength in this direction, which that would be the, the direction of strength that you would need if this thing is, or is rotating in this direction. But again, if you look at the EDL, if you look at the entry, descent, and landing profile for, for SpaceX that Elon Musk has done in his talks, there's a significant portion of the Martian entry point where the vehicle is essentially hanging upside down before it does the, the, uh, the belly flop that they're trying to uh, master right now. So, and again, you know, this is only, we're only simulating 37% of earth gravity so it's if as long as we have that engineering strength 37 percent in that opposite direction then we should be good and um so, so to my knowledge spacex hasn't announced any any plans for generating artificial gravity in in transit um and, yeah and, it's it's amazing what they're doing, and I'm I'm a wholehearted supporter um, and, and fan. Uh, but I I think not generating the artificial gravity uh, is one of the highest health risks um, to to a human manned mission to Mars. And yeah. um, I think it's irresponsible for SpaceX to not have addressed this yet, and kind of you know leave millions and billion, billions of humans just wondering about the four to seven month transit time period. Well, it, I mean, it's the it's it's a it's a health risk. I mean, in the sense, it's like it is going to produce an absolutely one hundred percent known result. It's like it's it's not it's not like exposure to radiation, where you know you have kind of a probability that you have to deal with. It's like it it we we know exactly what it will be in terms of uh, of how the astronauts will be in condition when they arrive on the surface of Mars. Now, I will say, SpaceX has said nothing, you know, about doing all this publicly. I, you know, it's, it's like my, my kind of work is like, you know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm a smart guy, but I'm not smarter than all of SpaceX. They see this problem too. They're, they're just, you know, they're focused on other problems. Then, you know, I, I think that the, internally to SpaceX, I think that there's, absolutely a team of guys whose job is exactly this i i have very little doubt i mean because you know it's, it's like there's no other conclusion it's like unless again unless the only point of that first mission that first man mission is going to be to go and plant a flag and that just that doesn't seem to line up with the plans that spacex has yeah and so you mentioned um, SpaceX may already well be underway in implementing this this concept and idea. Um, what I might uh, 
theorize why they haven't announced or or addressed the concept um, is because it's freaking difficult. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Details work out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole in orbit refueling thing is a you know a absolute brand new thing. You know, there's just. I know what it is. It's it's like with, with any of these vehicles, there is a pr- list of problems that are 3,000 problems long, and they're on problem 78 right now. And it's like, yeah, yeah so it's like, you know, w- what SpaceX gains from announcing, you know, this as a solution when, you know, when it's so far down, it's like, it's, it's unclear. It's like, I, you know, you know, it fires the imagination of the public. Well, it's like, you know, nothing is doing that. I don't think that the, the you know, in a good way, I don't think the public's imagination can be any fired, fired any more than it is being right now by the testing. But, you know, yes. and so with, with all this, it's, it's like, you know, why, you know, why announce your stuff, you know, when it's early and you don't really have a result and you can't possibly have a result right now because, engineering details of, of the the vessel are not finalized why why announce it now and uh and possibly have to backtrack later that that's that's kind of my that's my perception on it yeah yeah i, I share a similar perspective um and so it sounds like two starships would uh tail to tail together on the outbound journey right so and then just one back because again you don't you don't need it on on the way home. And then around, I think two hundred forty thousand kilograms of liquid methane propellant um, in the chamber for the outbound. Um, what what were some of the design and engineering challenges involved in this tail to tail rotating starship flip approach? Um, so, I mean, there's a hundred problems, uh, but just, again, it's the same kind of thing. It's like when you, when you've got 3000 problems and you're only on 77, you don't worry too much about those down the list. But it's like, one of the things is like, if you're going to have two starships tail to tail and they're, it's like, you have to figure out, it's like, what, what is, what do we want the Barry center? What do we want the center of gravity to be for these two vessels? And it's like, and then how do we make that happen? So it's like you mentioned the, the mass of the propellant, you know. So if you've got two vessels and they're, they're both fueled for descent, so they have to be equally fueled and in an orientation that is not going to make this common vessel wobble. I mean, that's one problem, you know, and, you know, the, the the bigger problem which i think it's still solvable but uh so this tail to tail tail to tail conjunction it's you know for refueling it's going to have to be rated for microgravity you know you know a hundredth or a thousandth of an acceleration but you know rating it up to 37 percent is going to be a challenge i'm sure and and the big thing that it's like everyone you know everyone has identified this and it's like i yes it's a problem i don't see it as a big problem but so you know you've got you've got the orientation of the starship and kind of the human factors all through the starship 
they're going to have to be oriented, you know, kind of in the common sense perception of up to out, up to down is sitting on the, on the pad. So in this configuration, everything is upside down. It's like when you, when you're, when you're launching from the earth, what was the ceiling now becomes the floor. Now it's like, is that a problem? Yes. It's like, you're going to have to, you know, so you, you get to orbit, the astronauts are there. They're going to have to, you know, spend a day reorienting equipment and moving stuff around. But, you know, it's like, honestly, it's like, there's, I see that more of as a, an Ikea level challenge than a NASA level challenge. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It certainly influences a lot of the interior design of the cabin space and, um, Yeah, imagine some kind of um, adjustable track system or something, right? You can yeah. Flip a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. it's like, you know, you've got, got a machine that has to, you know, has to work on Earth, you know, and it's in this orientation, and then you unbolt it, you flip it around, you do it to, you know, these adapters in the ceilings. And, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that will just stay on the ceiling. It's like, you don't, you're not going to need gravity couches, you know, for, 37% gravity. You're not going to need constraints, you know, aside from maybe sleep, sleep restraints. So, you know, there will just be stuff that is hanging from the ceiling, maybe in an interesting sci-fi way, you know, on your way out there. I wonder if you could use um, magnetism as well. And if those forces would be strong enough. Um, and so you mentioned the, the, um, the floors would become the ceilings and so you'd be walking on the ceilings. Mm -hmm. um, and then I might be able to get through the ceilings with ladders. I think um, it is yeah. a feasible design. Um, yeah, a ladder can work both ways, no problem. So that's, that's the logical way to do it. Definitely um, uh, influences a lot of the furniture you know and you start thinking about how this would work with hydroponic systems showers you know bathrooms mm -hmm. beds and kitchens <laughs> well again and so so uh, in the same sense that you've got things that only need to work in the kind of tail to nose orientation it's like you know it's fine to have a shower that only works in the artificial gravity configuration it's like you know you, you and and it might, it might be something that you'll have to orient in a more tedious way. It's like once you get to the surface of Mars, but it's, it's there's basically three flight modes that you have to have. You have to have, you know, tail, tail to nose, which is how it works on earth and it will work on the surface of Mars. And then you've got nose to tail, which is what's going to be it in transit. And then, you know, some minor set of these things that have to work in the zero G transition periods between the two modes. And, and for, you know, for stuff that like a shower, it's like, you know, as long as you can unbolt it and reorient it over time, it's like, you know, once, you know, when you get to these different modes, you're going to have time to do stuff, you know, that, that takes more time for that reorientation. And um, you also mentioned there would be some challenges with, with the structural engineering. 
yeah. and having the forces be reversed toward the, the cone and nozzle. Uh, it also creates a lot of, uh, uh, you know, flipped forces on the, um, the stowed payloads and, and everything. Yep. Yes. Um, but it's, it's like, again, it's like the EDL profile for that ship is going to be a magic carpet ride. It's going to be a roller coaster. So it's like, uh, I think that 37 degree, you know, 0.37 G in the opposite direction, it's going to have to be something that's going to have to be planned for whether or not they do artificial gravity, that 0.37 G and probably a lot more in different directions. Awesome. And I think we could consider kind of, uh, you know, flipping or like rotating the payload um, if, if you have enough room so that it doesn't affect the, uh, you know, the millions of dollars of equipment. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I think, um, and then you also mentioned there's some uh, challenges with communication and, and power. Yeah, I mean, so this is it's kind of the classic thing that any rotating system is going to have to deal with. You know, it's like you've got a constantly changing orientation, but you've got things that need to be fixed in terms of their orientation, like communication and power. Uh, power, if you're going to do solar power, which still is the plan as far as we can tell with SpaceX, you know, but, you know, again, this is stuff that can be solved. It's, you know, a, a wireless, you know, form of communication with a stowed satellite. I mean, I guess that's what you call it. It's, it's not, a, you know, technically a satellite, but a, a detached vehicle that is, you know, that has a constant orientation for communications with Earth. Yes, yes. And I wonder if... Um... So you mentioned that um, it, orienting the antenna would be difficult um, if it's like on the rotating system. And so you propose um, having it be like somewhere like off off the rotating. Structure. Yeah, on a separate platform. I mean, if you just you know, if they if you really want to muscle it out, you can create a constantly, you know, rotating oriented, you know, satellite dish. You know, but you know, it's it's going to be subject to mechanical failure as opposed to, you know, a thing that just sits out there and communicates wirelessly. And you can you can even you can do the same thing with solar power, including wireless transmission, but you know, that's that's a bigger kettle of fish. Yeah. I wonder if you could um even start off with uh antenna on board and then, you know, have it detach in transit and maintain um, the, the, along the same path, so you have constant communications. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, you, you kind of think about you know the logistics of the transfer. You're going to have two separate starships, and they're going to be not joined, and they're going to perform their transfer burn, and then they will you know they'll need to conjoin. And then they release that, they, they release this 
power slash communications platform. And then they do their bow thrusters and they, uh, and they begin this, they begin the rotation. And, and it sounded like there are some uh, uh, interesting caveats with uh, uh, generating power on board with the solar panels. Yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, the thing with, with solar, it's like do they, they definitely need an orientation, but their orientation is not going to be, as precise as communications orientation. So it's like they need to be oriented in, a de in the proper degree to get power from the sun. <laughs> they need to be, you know, 45 degrees, you know, but, uh, you know, it's so like you could conceivably still have these panels attached to the vehicles and rotating. I, I personally am a big fan of uh, kilo power. It's like, I think that for, for this kind of transfer operation, you just slap a, a kilo power into each one of them and, and you don't worry about it, but you know, there's, that's got its own challenges too. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Time to tell. I think uh, a lot of, a lot of options and architectures to consider. Um, and I wonder, um, you start thinking about the next generation designs of Starship um, and uh, if if the uh, ring concept to generate artificial gravity um, yeah. could could come into play, and, and so yeah, I mean, if I had an unlimited budget and I were kind of designing this solution, it's you know, and, th and this idea, it's like I, I want to make make it clear, it's like uh, this has come from from other folks other than me, but uh, you orient you know multiple of these starships in non-tail to tail configurations and you may even decide to now orient them nose to tail and you trust them together into a ring so it's like you know you don't have one continuous ring going around but you've got you know say it's like one two three and four five six as you go all through this and you create all this and you, you trust this together and you build this up over time and this is an Aldrin cycler traveling between the Earth and Mars over time. And just, you know, as you have time, you have engineering capability, you know, you just add a new module to this. And over time, it's like this, you can tell this is the, one, of, one of the things I'm, I'm working on now. It's just, you end up with essentially a two-star hotel that can take you between Mars and Earth, you know, and you know, something that's got, you know, everything you need in terms of, you know, engineer, uh, you know, life support and, and a reasonable degree of comfort and also a, a vessel that is constantly a rescue vessel for something that has gone wrong on Mars, presuming that it's in the proper orbital, proper spot in the transfer between the two planets. Yes. Yes. It Sounds closer to a five-star hotel. <laughs> well, there's there's probably not going to be a pool, no hot tub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there would um, be a bar. Ah, yes. <laughs> there we go. All we need. Um. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, if there were like to expand on the concept, if there are rings, um, that weren't attached to the starship if they could be left in orbit around mars i think what you were alluding to um and you kind of have a um 
a habitation module to generate artificial gravity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and with all this stuff, it's like kind of the engineering and the math that drives it all is how many radiuses you are away from the center point of rotation. And it's like the, the, the basic thing, it's like you want to maximize that number of radii. And so it's like below a certain point, it's like the difference in acceleration. It's like, like, like in our starship thing, it's like, if you, if you go up a floor towards the center of rotation, you're now experiencing less rotation because you are closer to that center of, of rotation. And so at extremely small values of, of that radius, your head is going to be experiencing significantly different rotation than your lower body. And the brain and the vestibular system does not like that. And that is pretty much a guaranteed vomit comet situation. So, and, and the way, the way you address that is simply by having these longer radius radii. And it's like with, with starship, you know, you kind of crunch the numbers, you're going to be able to get, you know, 80 to a hundred meters, which is going to be fine for Martian level gravity. Uh, and, and you go much beyond that. You go up to about 175, 200 meters. And now you can simulate earth gravity without having this kind of head to toe tidal force problem. Yeah, that definitely, um, definitely could all read up on, um, you know, generating artificial gravity with spacecraft. It's a very fascinating concept, and even, um, on the, on the surface of, 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 of the moon and Mars, um, it's a lot of design considerations. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think it is, it's inevitable. I mean, cause just because the problems, you know, we have you know, long-term kind of distant thinking about how these things could be mitigated, uh, mitigated with medication. But it's like, that is, those ideas are much more science fiction than simply, you know, rotating these vessels around in a way that can solve the problem. Yes. And, and uh, on the bright side, it, it sounds like the uncrewed missions, they, they would become significantly less complicated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much, Chris, for joining us. Uh, Thank you. For, it's been uh, fun. Really uh, kind of envisioning and, and predicting this, uh, what, what could become reality. Well, thanks for having me. Yep. I look forward to uh, continuing our conversation and, and having you on here another time. I'd love it. Uh, Take care. Take care.